sisters, welcome back to She is Becoming. We are a podcast of multi-generational women studying God's Word together, dedicated to being transformed by the renewing of our minds. You can find our episodes on culture, doctrine, church history, and more on whatever podcast platform that you typically use. And make sure you follow our podcast on your favorite podcast platform so that you can get notifications when we post a new episode, which is every other Monday. And Make sure that you're following us on Instagram at She's Becoming Podcast so that you can get additional episode resources and engage with us. Sometimes we post things like, you know, like we talked about one little part of a topic and, and on an episode and we'll get into it more on Instagram. So just follow us on Instagram. Well, I am your co-host Delaney and I am here in the studio with my co-host Bev. Hello, Delaney. We're I'm loving Daniel. How about you? I am. We This is, this is our fourth season. Yes. We're on our second episode, yes, part two of our four-part Daniel series. Exactly. And we're doing these four episodes, we are doing every Monday. So typically we do every other Monday. Right. But so starting off. We're starting off with a bang. With a bang, four in a row. It's like bonus episodes. They really are. And you really get to study the book of Daniel. Yes. And so when you hear these podcasts, these four podcasts, if possible, please open your Bible so you can kind of follow along. Um, it's only four episodes, so it's going to go pretty quick, yeah. but we're really trying to squeeze all the great stuff out for all of you listeners. And there's and, a lot. And boy, mm-hmm. is there great stuff here. But before we start, Delaney, I want to ask you our signature question. And today the signature question is, where have you been in scripture lately? And what is it saying to you personally? I think it's pretty obvious. I've been in Daniel <laughs> lately. <laughs> I know, me too. Loving it. Yeah, we. I have been in Daniel for the last couple months and actually have been doing a study with friends through Daniel also as we've been writing this. So I've gotten Perfect. to kind of layer mm-hmm. this, which has been really impactful. But um, I think just the Daniel's character has been one of my favorite parts of all of this. Um, I just got a job back in the secular workforce, which I'm really excited about, but um, am faced with some challenges with this of like, okay, I'm the only Christ follower and what an opportunity, you know? Yeah. But you better go in there resolve. Right. That's our theme. That is. So I think that this has just been timely for me too. Yeah. Isn't that how God works? Mm -hmm. Well, we are in our part two of our resolved series, a study of Daniel. And today we are tackling Daniel three through six. There is a C.S. Lewis quote that I love that talks about some of the major themes in Daniel 3 through 6. Lewis says, In God you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself, unless you know God as that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison. You do not know God at all. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. I love that quote. I love it. Mere Christianity, 10 out of 10. Classic. And so as you're listening to this episode today, just keep this really profound quote just in the back of your mind, because it really is going to sum up some of the themes that we will discuss today. Since we are tackling a lot of narrative today, which we're really excited about, but it's a lot of ground to cover, um, we just want to start with laying our key characters out and some of our major themes, because some of these names are kind of tricky and they're kind of similar, and we're going to go through a lot of kings, so we're just going to lay this out. We are covering four chapters with four different stories and with four different kings. These four narratives 
illustrate the same central message and doctrine that God reveals using Daniel to four different kings. These are real historical events showcasing the sovereignty of God. And so these four situations are going to be different, but they're going to be like, they're going to mirror each other Mm -hmm. in really, really unique ways. So here are our characters. First character we know is Daniel. Daniel is a servant and a vessel of God. We know that he's a godly man of character and integrity, a man of resolve. We have Nebuchadnezzar. We call him, now we're going to call him Neb One. He was the king from Daniel um, Two and three. Two and three. Yep. I was just like, what what was it? Yep. He was the he was the king from Daniel two and three. <clears throat> then right. we have Nebuchadnezzar again. This is Neb two. <laughs> we're gonna call him. So he is the new king in Daniel four. He besieged the throne from Neb one and he took his name, which was standard practice back then. It, it was, was kind of like a title. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and like, hey, I'm taking your throne, I'm taking your name. Wow. So Neb one and Neb two. We have Belshazzar, which is the new king in Daniel five. Be careful not to confuse it with Belteshazzar, which is Daniel's Babylonian name. We are not going to call Daniel Belteshazzar in any of these episodes, so that should be a little bit easier for you to remember. But as you're reading scripture with it, Belshazzar is the new king. Belteshazzar is Daniel's Babylonian name. The T is all the difference. The T is the difference. Um, And then we have Darius, which is the new king in Daniel 6. And of course, our key character is God. It's important to keep in mind that God is the hero of, of scripture. Daniel is a vessel, a godly man, but he is he's used to accomplish God's purposes. Yes, and to elevate God, yeah. to show them who the true God is. Amen. Again and again, all these scenes just are proving God to be so superior to any person or any kingdom. Amen. So here are some of our themes for the episode today. First theme is the authority of kings. These kings that Bev and I are going to be teaching on were, you know, the most powerful men of their time. They had all the earthly power and authority, and they basically thought they were God. And you'll see that in the way that they talked. They Mm -hmm. were. And so, in each of these passages, in a unique and profound way, you are going to see how God teaches these kings who they really are in relation to who God is. The second theme that we see is the judgment of kings. These kings were sinful, as we all are, and God did not let their sin go unpunished. And we see that in different ways um, through each of these uh, chapters. Third theme is, of course, the sovereignty of God. As we talked about in our last episode, and as we're going to talk about in this episode, God is sovereign. This means that God is all-knowing, all-powerful, and present everywhere. Nothing happens without his allowance. Nothing surprises him. There is no mystery in the mind and will of God. He has all the power, and he knows everything, and he is in control. So we're going to see that theme throughout the episode today. Every episode of this book is Mm -hmm. all about God and his sovereignty, who he is and his sovereignty. And again, it's just a beautiful attribute of God that we need to treasure. Treasure. That's a great Mm -hmm. way to say it. Let's get into Daniel 3. Okay, so let's start in Daniel 3. Chapter 3 of Daniel really is an example of what Delaney just said. We uh, meet King Nebuchadnezzar, who was revealed to be the head of the statue, the head of gold. With each successive part of the statue in his dream, the kingdoms diminish until the rock, Christ's kingdom, will overpower all earthly kingdoms. Again, a message of God's sovereignty in history and future. While the king may have acknowledged the power of Daniel's, quote, Daniel's God, he was certainly not converted. Right. Here now we see he has rethought the dream and is going to rebuff God's sovereignty 
and write his own future for himself mm. and Babylon. He didn't like, I don't think he liked this idea of these kingdoms are going to follow him and that he's not going to be forever. Right. That's, Which is why God's about to show him. Oh, exactly. <laughs> The way he does this is by building, the way Nebuchadnezzar does this is by building a tall obelisk statue representative of him and the kingdom of Babylon, and it's made of pure gold. So do you get that picture? Mm. He was the head of gold, and then all these other kingdoms came after him. Uh Uh-uh, that wasn't good enough for him. He wants the whole statue to be gold Gold. and all about him Mm. and his kingdom. And that... He this just shows you that he thinks that he's God. He of thinks course. that he will survive. He can he can will his own future, his right. own outcome of things. He's mm. in charge. Well, an interesting fact here is that Daniel does not appear in this chapter. Isn't no. that something? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Some feel he may have been in another province on duty uh, when this image was put up and the new law that all must fall down and worship this, or there were going to be what we know this term thrown into the fiery furnace. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, you know it's coming. Daniel's three friends were caught in this fray. Mm-hmm. Their fellow wise men, out of supposed jealousy, tell the king that these three are disobeying the king's orders. You see, in chapter um, 3, verse 12, listen to what they say here, in uh, starting in verse 16, if you have your Bibles open. If not, you can just listen. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter because the these other leaders tattled on them that they weren't bowing down. Right. Yeah. So um, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God who we serve is able, I underline that, to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. So who's he saying is the greater there, huh? Mm. But even if he does not, so they're not sure God is going to rescue them, yeah. but they know that God is able to rescue them. Yeah. What, a, what a statement this is here. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty respectfully here that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Well, and it shows that we know that this passage is not prescriptive, which means that God is not going to save us all the time in every situation, but it does describe how we can trust him and what kind of mindset that we should have and what kind of trust we should have. Exactly. We trust absolutely. But then if it doesn't turn out as we so hoped, we trust him that the that what did turn out is for our good and his, his glory. glory. Mm-hmm. Amen. Well, so these statements that they give here are really a picture of resolve, hmm. the kind of resolve we need in a godless culture today. They could have rationalized in several ways that we use today. Well, I must obey the state. Even scripture commands this. However, however, there's a real however here. Mm-hmm. There is a time to stake, take a stand against the state or the government if the state goes beyond their powers and conflicts with God's law. And that's, and that's when you know. Yes. If it goes against scripture, if it's causing you sin, if it's something against what God has designed. Right. That's when you you really know you need to take your stand there, have right. some resolve. Yep. And here's a big point hmm. in this same argument. All rulers are put in place by God and so are subject to him. And we, his people, are to be reminders of that to them. Oh, I love that. I do too. When I really thought about it, I thought, wait a second. 
Daniel just said in second chapter that, you know, he puts them there. He removes the leaders there. Yes. And it's, it, he's, he's the one. And so they need to be, he is the boss of the boss. Yeah. I tell my grandchildren that. I'm the boss of your parents. I'm the boss of the boss. <laughs> but God is the boss over all the leaders, and they are to be uh, in a situation of humility and obedience to God. Mm. And so we, the people, are to remind them of that. Now, the second thing they could have done to rationalize going along with the flow, they could have debated with the pros and the cons of the issue. But these men seem to have thought this out ahead of time. If we dally with debating and not do the right thing, we can easily slip into compromise. It's like when we're looking for a reason not to take a stand, we're looking for an easy way out mm. to still be, you know, thought good of, and yet a way out of really standing up for God. Or we make an excuse to get out of it. Mm -hmm. Right, of what is clearly revealed in his word. Mm. They could have rationalized another way like this. Well, an idol is nothing, so we're not committing idolatry. Or they could have rationalized, we don't want to lose our godly witness, so let's go along. Maybe some here will be converted. But if we die, we lose our witness. Yeah, or, or, or you know, I'm going to die. Maybe, maybe I'll worship the idol so I can live. Yeah, God in order, wants to, me be, to, live. order to be a better witness. Right. You know, we, we excuse ourselves like that. We do. We do. When the gospel is worth dying for. These all sound so familiar, don't they? These, mm -hmm. the things they could have done. Yes. And we have to ask ourselves, how resolved are we to stand upon the truth of God as revealed in the Bible? Will we be willing to lay down our lives for it? We may not today, but there may come a day. Our persecution in America is is great right now, actually, mm -hmm. because you if you poke at any special interest group, you get lambasted. Mm -hmm. you, you, but Christians, free game, mm -hmm. go at it. Mm -hmm. No one pays attention. There's no repercussions for that. Mm. It's it's sobering. Will we lay down our popularity for you know standing firm and resolving to follow God even when it's not popular? So often, it's um, our fears are the fear that we're going to be diminished in some way. Yeah. <laughs> so we we chicken out. Will we resolve to speak the truth in love? That's the way to speak the truth of God mm. in love, but firmly resolve that it is God's word and it's truth. Mm -hmm. But what we often do is we instead we compromising we compromise God's truth because of what we think is love. Mm. Well, the loving thing to do would be just to accept this, mm -hmm. right? And what that shows, like if we're a reflection of who God is, what that shows about God is that he's a wishy-washy God and yeah. that he's, he's not a God that can stand firm and we can't, that would mean that we can't trust him. And so by us showing, hey, I'm going to stand firm and resolve to trust the Lord, to obey him, even when nobody else is, that shows who God is, that he's consistent, that he is stable, that he is more powerful than our situation. I love that thought, you know, reflecting that back on who he is. Mm -hmm. Well, these three men stood on the resolve of knowing God, who was sovereign in this circumstance and so in all things. They knew and obeyed what the scriptures reveal to be God's will, that God was the only true God, and they were to worship only him, one of the Ten Commandments. If we are wishy-washy in trusting God's truth, we will not have the resolve we need to stand. They were willing to pay the price. Often we prize human things over the greatest action of obedience to God. Mm. 
We treasure our reputation more. We treasure our our family more, our loved ones more than we treasure obedience to God. Mm. Well, the rest of the story, of course, is they were not burned up. But in the fire, they were accompanied by a heavenly being that looked like the Son of Man. Mm. This is Christ. Mm. This is a pre-incarnate picture of Christ with them. Uh, They come out of this fire. Their clothes don't smell like fire. They're not singed. Uh, You know, the the king falls on the ground. He's just amazed uh, that no God could do this. You see, they were not alone in the fiery trial, and neither are we as God's people. And think about, like, if you are the people of Babylon and you are watching this happen, there's this huge statue of gold, and you see three people who choose not to bow down to the statue. You see them thrown into a fiery furnace, and then you see them come out alive. Yeah, not even smelling like smoke. Think about the witness of that. Like, we know that this, like, of course impacted the king, but think about how it would have impacted, you know, the people who worked in the court, like the people they were around. And yet, and yet probably many didn't believe. Yeah. Because miracles, remember Christ didn't, they wanted to see a miracle and Christ would not give him a miracle. He said, because I know the hearts of men. We like the spectacular. We like the miracle. Um, We want that in order to... God has to prove himself with a miracle or something. And honestly, um, you know, it's it's simple faith. Mm. It's understanding the love and the grace of God. Well, Nebuchadnezzar is one of those people. He's so impressed, mm-hmm. um, but he's not converted. You know, we can be impressed by religious things, may even give him some applause, but yet remain independent of God, like Pharaoh. Pharaoh did the same wishy-washy back and forth, remember? Yeah. Yeah. So where are you being tempted to compromise today, listeners? You're not alone in your fiery trial either. These are some great lessons right from this book. Trust him no matter. Trust his presence to be with you always. And trust that your obedience will be enough to Mm. please God, to to honor God, and that that is what is required of you. Mm. It is what was required. I love that. Let's go to chapter 4. Um, The happenings in Daniel 4 mirror Daniel 2 in many ways. Daniel 4 is the verbal testimony of Neb 2, so the second Nebuchadnezzar king, and how God transformed his life. So verses 1 through 3 begin with Neb 2, as I'm calling him so that we're not confused. Neb 2, praising God and recognizing the eternality of God's kingdom. Just as it happens in Daniel 2, God alarms Neb 2 with dreams, dreams that made him fearful, that keep him up at night. And so Neb 2 brings the magicians and the conjurers of the kingdom in to where he is sleeping to interpret his dream very similar to Daniel 2. And of course, we know that they were unable to interpret his dream. Verse 8 in Daniel 4 says that finally, Daniel came in before me. Neb 2 knew that, quote, the spirit of the holy gods was in Daniel. Well, this would have been something that the um, court would be well aware of. They recorded their history quite mm-hmm. carefully. So this, he may have had pre- previous knowledge. I'm, I'm almost certain he did. He could have had knowledge. Yep. So that's why Daniel's brought in before. We know that he knows that the spirit of the Holy Gods is in Daniel. And so this was Neb's dream. He sees a tree of great height, strength, and beauty in the midst of the earth. Its fruit was abundant. Its food was beautiful. Its foliage was beautiful. And the fruit was bountiful. 
He provided shade for the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky. And so Neb looked at this great and mighty tree when the angel descended from heaven and shouted for Neb to chop down the tree to cut off its branches and the beasts that once used the tree for shade fled. But the angel said to leave the stump of the tree with its roots in the ground that were bound with iron and bronze to remain in the ground. And then the angel pronounces a sentence in verse 15. He says, let his mind be changed from that of a man and let a beast's mind be given to him and let seven years pass over him. So the reason for this was explained by the angel in verse 17. It says, In order that the living may know that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whom he wishes and sets over it the lowliest of men. So after Neb tells Daniel this dream, Daniel hears the dream and he's alarmed because God had revealed to Daniel that this was a judgment on Neb. Oh boy, can you imagine Give, delivering this message. <laughs> Once again, how is coming. Daniel not dead? How has he not been killed by again, the king? The sovereignty of God and the protection of God for God's own glory because Daniel's glorifying God. Amen. So verse 22, it says that it is you, Daniel says, it is you, O king, for you have become great and grown strong and your majesty has become great and reached to the sky and your dominion to the end of the earth. So Daniel's going to explain what this all means. For seven years, Daniel says, Neb would live as an animal, the lowliest station of all, right? Not even human. You're subhuman. Mental illness of, of a very terrible sort. Yeah, so he he's not going to become an animal. That was kind of confusing to me. He's going to become like an animal. Mentally. Mentally. Mm-hmm. He's not going to be aware no, of like no. what's going on. He's and He's going to live like an animal. Yeah. And he's going to do like, like an animal. animal things. Yes. So this was the lowliest station of all until Neb recognized that, quote, the most high is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. We see that in verse 25. So the stump in the ground meant that Neb's kingdom would be returned to him after those seven years. And Neb would recognize that it is heaven that rules. And we see this, that language that heaven rules in this chapter, which is Mm -hmm. just beautiful language. Mm -hmm. So we know that God was going to judge the pride of the king and reveal that he is sovereignly in control. Just as Daniel prayed in Daniel 2.21, he, God, changes times and seasons. He removes kings and establishes kings. So before this coming judgment, God gives Neb a chance to be humble and recognize that heaven rules. It says for him to break away from your sins by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor in case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. We see that in uh, verse 27. I love that. There was some advice and some encouragement given here of what he could do to forego going this into judgment. this judgment. Yeah, it, there was mercy. It was an opportunity here. Mercy. Yeah. God is merciful even to the worst. Yeah, Neb had a chance to repent before his impending judgment. But we know exactly one year later. Okay, so he had a whole year. Whole year. I'm relating to this because sometimes God tells me something and I put it off and put it off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He had a whole year. We don't know exactly what he did during this year, but this image is really beautiful. So I want you to listen to this. It says exactly a year later, Neb took a stroll atop the roof of his Babylonian palace. Picture this. The most powerful man on earth surveyed the glory and majesty of his earthly kingdom. And he reflects upon his own glory and majesty before the words left the king's mouth. 
where he's worshiping himself. A voice from heaven declares, to you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you. It's chilling. And then Neb instantly lost all senses. He became like a madman, acting like cattle for seven years until he recognized the sovereignty of God. And God knew it would take seven years. That language was really specific that it was seven years until he recognized who God was. So I want you to pay attention to this imagery too. The king who had once looked pridefully down at the vastness of his earthly might was now positioned to look up and see that it is heaven who rules. In verse 34, we see that Neb blessed the Lord and honored him. When the seven, when the time came after these seven years, and then Neb reflected that on on the power and the will of God, and finally saw himself for who he really was, and God had brought him to a place of humility. Oh, absolutely! You know, it says here in Scripture that he ate grass like an ox. Mm-hmm. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle, mm-hmm. and his nails like the claws, claws. of a bird. Yeah. Okay. Even his that. appearance. He was like a mad person. Yes. Yes. But, but think about how God brought him low like that. Yeah. And then he was able to look up. That goes back to that quote that we talked about from C.S. Lewis. Right. Recognizing who God is as just way more than we are. Yeah. We can't put ourselves before God. We're not greater than God. Mm-hmm. So what do we learn about humility from God's humbling of oh, Nem? A lot. The first thing that we learn is that God initiates the process of humility. Just like in Daniel 2, God gave these alarming dreams to both Nebuchadnezzar kings with the end goal being our humility and God's glorification. In reality, we are all like Neb, pridefully surveying our earthly kingdoms and glorifying ourselves until God, according to to his will humbles us. Humility is really the best thing for us. Humility is seeing yourself correctly. And for Nebuchadnezzar, it took judgment for him to be humbled as it often does with us. But we can also ask the Holy Spirit to make us humble. Like this, this is with the power of the Holy Spirit, we can resolve to be humble. Like we can ask and we can have a resolve in us that we are going to see ourselves in the right position and that we are going to glorify God instead of glorifying ourselves. And and you can say, God, put me on pride alert. Yeah. When I, I notice this in myself, I often feel a prideful thought or have something kind of enter my mind like that. And I try to immediately reject it because mm-hmm. I can recognize it. I think God is, you know, alerting me to that right. prideful thought because you never want to start embellishing that and growing that in your heart and your mind. Right. And that's a resolve against pride. Exactly. We can have a resolve against pride. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We should. We should because it is the root of sin. Amen. The second thing is that God will u- often use judgment of our sin to humble us. Mm. The act of judgment was a wake-up call for Neb. God brought the king low so that the king could recognize the Most High. And God often does with us. I know that's part of my testimony is that God judged, like consequences of my sin are what led me to follow Christ. Exactly. Which is really merciful. It is. And it refines us and it makes us Mm -hmm. more Christ-like. I mean, we don't want the suffering, but very often we leave the suffering with some jewels in our life that we wouldn't have gotten any other way. Mm Mm-hmm. 
The third thing is that God reveals who he is when we are humble. The decree from the angel to Neptune in verse 17 was this, in order that the living may know that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it upon whom he wishes. God knew it would take seven years for Neptune to recognize the sovereignty of God. And so God will humble us whether we want to or not, whether we want to be humble or not, whether it be on earth or when we die. And so when God initiates and sustains this process of humility in our life while we are on earth, it is evidence of his mercy that he would reveal who he is to us. So we know that God initiated the process of humility with the king through the alarming dreams, through Daniel's interpretation of the dreams, and it was, and through the chance uh, for the king to repent, and ultimately through the judgment of the king's pride, which produced humility within the king. And what is this? This is God's grace. God's grace. God's grace doesn't let us continue in evil ways. Yeah. He will intervene. Divine intervention right here. Yes, it is. In a kind of crazy way. Yes. <laughs> Very yes. odd story. Yes. But yes. Yeah. Divine intervention. So God initiates the process of humility in our own lives, often through judgment, in order to produce humility in us. Humility is where we recognize who we are, who we really are as low, so that we can see God for who he really is as the most high. And that's partly why I loved that imagery for Neb, like where he's looking down over everything and he has this prideful attitude and then God brings him low so that he can recognize who God is as the most high. Yeah. It's a beautiful chapter. It is. It is. And again, it's all about God's sovereignty and his grace. Mm -hmm. So gracious toward us. Gave him a whole year to (laughs) turn it around. Yeah. Turn it around. And then God, in his grace again, Mm -hmm. caused him to fall into this uh, terrible position of being an animal for seven seven years. It's amazing he didn't lose the kingdom completely. Yeah. And that God kept the kingdom. God did. He said, don't destroy the root. Right. And so... In those seven years, he could have lost even that, you know, where it was, they wouldn't want him king again, but apparently God spared that and gave it back to him. Mm -hmm. What a beautiful thing. It is. All right. So Daniel 5, we're already up to chapter 5, opens with a new king and a a very old Daniel by now. Yeah. Um, Belshazzar is Daniel's Babylonian name. And what uh, Belshazzar is the king here. I'm sorry. Even I'm getting mixed up. Yeah. <laughs> it's so confusing. But think of Belshazzar as, mm-hmm. as the king now. And Daniel's Babylonian name was Belt-Tejar. Mm-hmm. So they're different. Um, Belshazzar, the king, was the son of the king who actually, they were co-regent. The father and the son reigned together. His father was always absent as a king. So the son ruled for him. And we meet him at a big party he was throwing. All the leaders were there and they were drinking and decided to bring in and drink out of the vessels that had been brought from the Jewish temple in Jerusalem from, yeah. from Neb 1. And this feast, is like when you read it, you just get a picture of like total debauchery. He's there yeah, with such his a great concubines. Word, debauchery. Debauchery. It really is a picture. <laughs> oh my goodness. And like he's here with all these women and like they're, Drunk. you know, it's it's like sacrilegious. It's... um. It's like they're mocking God. Exactly. They're, they're toasting their gods with God's holy utensils from the temple. Remember that from Daniel 1? Yeah. When the vessels yep. were taken, yep. here's where they're being used again. Then, so they're huge party going on, all this, probably very noisy, drunkenness, who knows what other things included yeah. in that debauchery. But then suddenly, a disembodied hand appears. <laughs> 
can you imagine? Mm -hmm. And begins to write on the wall words that they couldn't interpret. So he calls in all the wise men. They couldn't interpret it. I don't think these wise men were ever much good, were they? No, they were never humble. (laughs) And I thought it was odd. Like, it was interesting that God didn't appear, you know, in like a, you know, a loud way. Like, it was a hand on a wall. And and just writing it out. It's eerie. And that's what... God does for us. He gives us warnings in his writing, in his word. Yes. But it's it's almost it's almost eerie. Like think about that. In I the know. midst of the probably the really like loud feast, what you just contrast. see a hand. What is what a contrast, yes. huh? Like the Lord was he was quiet in yes. his judgment still. Yeah. yeah. Well, the king, this was no small thing. The king, it just describes his fear as he was just leveled by fear. Yes. And the queen hears about it and says, "Look, you have a man in the kingdom, Daniel." Um, call him in. He knows how to interpret dreams and writings. He can do this for you. Well, so Daniel is called in. Well, and and this is what God keeps doing with Daniel. God positions Daniel to be used. Mm-hmm. Like God could have written words that they understood themselves, but God yet again is putting Daniel in a position to glorify him, to showcase God's sovereignty again and again in all of these chapters. Absolutely. And he not only interprets the words, but he does have words for oh, yeah. Belshazzar. So here are the words that Daniel interprets. This is what these phrases meant. God has numbered your days of your reign and brought it to an end. So Belshazzar is on his way out. You have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Do you know what was happening that very night? Darius from the Medes and Persian, broke through the walls there and took control of Babylon while Belshazzar was partying. Hmm. Wow. You know, Jesus warns that the end of times is going to come when people are partying and going to weddings and doing all the normal thing, and he's going to come and take them off guard. That image, you are over here sinning. Yeah. And something that, like, is happening that you don't even know about. Right. Judgment is closer than you think. Right. And God's... and. Like, it's interesting that Belshazzar didn't, like, have a whole year, like, in Daniel 4 with Neb. With Neb. Mm-hmm. It was that same day. Yeah. His time had come. But God had warned him. And God had warned him. And, and, and Daniel says, he answers the king by reminding him of what happened to Nebuchadnezzar, the former king. Yeah. His heart grew arrogant. This was Nebuchadnezzar too. Yeah. And how God judged him until he, judged him with that insanity, until he acknowledged that the most high God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. Yeah. He so would have. He known. had that warning from history, just like yeah. we have so many warnings from the Bible that are historical. Right. That should that we're responsible for that knowledge. Right. He knew. He knew Neb's testimony. Yeah. And he still like didn't change anything. No. He still was he chose to honor these worthless gods. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Daniel says to Belshazzar that he knew this, but did not heed the warning. And the king gives. Daniel, it's so interesting. He gives him the position of third in the land, which means mm-hmm. that he and his father were one and two, and then Daniel would have been third mm-hmm. and, and gave him a bunch of uh, expensive gifts. Now, people, all this is gonna, is worthless that very night because yeah. he's there's no ruling by any Babylon leader at mm-hmm. all that night after this. All those expensive gifts were probably all plundered. Yeah. Um, it, it was gone. It was over, mm-hmm. over. Um that what was happening at their gates at the very hour. Mm -hmm. So what's our lesson takeaway here in chapter five? 
Well, sobering one, sin grows unless it's dealt with. Mm. You know, ask anyone who struggles with addiction. It starts out small and innocent, just a few glasses of wine with meals, you mm-hmm. know, or just, you know, I was having a hard time. I had surgery. I had these painkillers and, you know, they just, I just felt so much better on them. Now you right. need them. Um, it soon, sin soon strangles your life. Sin always starts out promising you something yeah. good that you want, and then it bites you, I'm going to say this on the air, bites you in the butt. Sure does. And cripples you, mm-hmm. cripples you. Now, this king came to the fullness of sin where there is judgment. That's why he said you were, fu- you were put in the scales, yeah. you were judged, and you were found wanting. Mm. God wants all to be saved, but some will not come to him. He was, Belshazzar was unrepentant. And, and even he was unrepentant, and then he was also like mocking God still yes, to his yes, face. yes. Yes, because we—that's that's not that far of a journey when you've rejected God to then mock Him. And that's—is that does that not sound like what we are dealing with right now? Absolutely. The unrep- our unrepentant culture and how they are just blatantly just irreverent and disrespecting God to His face. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, another thing to notice here is that sin may seem to go unpunished, and we may wonder why are you just letting sin go, God? But God never just Mm. lets sin go. Remember Mm. that. Mm. God never just lets sin go. He will give us time to repent, to turn from our sin. However, if we do not, we will be judged. As Revelation chapters 17 through 19 show us, that final uh, judgment, you know, is going to happen for everyone. Mm. And there are judgments along the way, even in life of God. God does and will judge sin, but he is also a merciful God and had provided his son's own righteousness to be weighed. Picture Christ being weighed on our behalf, and God marks us, you're not wanting. Mm-hmm. You're not wanting now. He because satisfied it. He mm-hmm. satisfied it. He weighted our scale. Mm. Our own, on our own, we will always be found wanting and falling short of the righteousness that God requires. Right. We must trust Jesus and his imputed righteousness in our scale, not our own. Mm. We've got dust in ours, nothing. Yeah. We are to repent from sin and turn to Christ in faith. Pride, my friends, will keep you in line for judgment. You will be found wanting. Mm. Faith in Christ puts you into the line for Christ's kingdom. What are you going to choose? That is powerful. Wow. Well, one now, more chapter. Now we're going to go to this Darius. This so exciting. I mean, who says the Bible's boring? Oh, my goodness. There's so much happening. So <laughs> now we're going to King 4. We already talked about Darius a little bit. And so now we are in Daniel 6. The king is Darius. So Darius appoints Daniel to a high position within the kingdom, an office that was held by three men. The other two men in this high position, along with Daniel, basically just created a scheme to sabotage Daniel. When the schemers were went looking for ways to sabotage Daniel, his character was so high that the only thing that they knew that they could use against Daniel to sabotage him was by using his faith against him. Think about that. Yeah. They couldn't find anything. Oh, Lord. Nothing to bribe, nothing to blackmail him with. Would that be me? Nothing I don't, to bribe I don't him think with. So. It was it was like we got to twist something and mm-hmm. use his faith against mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. Their scheme was this. 
convinced the king to make an irreversible law that everyone must pray to the king Darius as their god. No one could pray to any other gods. And so Darius agrees and the law is put into effect. Darius, it seems like the schemers also kind of pulled one over on Darius too. Darius didn't really know where they were going with this. And you'll see that in the way that Darius responds to what's going to happen to Daniel. He didn't didn't think through the long-term repercussions of this in the least. And, you know, good leadership thinks through long-term repercussions on every decision. He did not. He he made a law that you couldn't take back, couldn't be revoked. And so Daniel knows about this new rule, this new law. And yet resolved to continue to pray to the Lord three times a day. The schemers tell the king about Daniel's praying, and the king is deeply disturbed when he realizes what has been done. He even tried to get Daniel out of it, but he had made this law that couldn't be revoked. The text heavily implies that the king had some sort of respect and compassion for Daniel since the king was disturbed at what would happen to Daniel. Yeah, I don't think he ate or slept. No, the whole night. He didn't. But the king also had to follow through. Yeah, he was cornered. He was cornered. And as punishment, Daniel was thrown into the lion's den to be killed. So as Daniel is being cast into the lion's den... King Darius even says in verse 16 to Daniel, your God, whom you constantly serve, will deliver you. I I think it's really interesting that Darius didn't hope in his own gods even here. He is hoping in Daniel's God to save him. May your God, whom you constantly serve. Isn't that interesting? He knew he constantly served God. It it also just shows you. There's a good reputation. (laughs) Well, and then in all these chapters, it shows the limitations because of these, they're false gods. And it shows all the power is God's. Yeah. So sleep evaded Darius that night, and in the morning, he runs to the lion's den, and he cries out for Daniel in verse 20. He says, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? And miraculously, Daniel replies that the Lord had found him innocent of crimes and sent an angel to shut the mouths of the lions. No harm came to Daniel because he trusted in his God. And that is what it says. It said that the that is what Daniel said. He said, the Lord did not find any crimes within me. And because I trusted the Lord, he closed the mouth of the lines. Again, we know this is not prescriptive. We know that God doesn't deliver us from everything. But in this case, we do know that this does have an effect, though. And and he does deliver us from many things. He sure and does. And we may not even know what he's delivering us from. He, Amen. So in response to this miraculous deliverance of Daniel, Darius orders the schemers to be brought to death as punishment. And then Darius recognizes the power of God. In verse 25, Darius actually wrote to all of his people in the whole kingdom, proclaiming the fear of the Lord, praising God and telling everyone of the sovereignty and power of God as shown through Daniel. So from Daniel 6, how do we resolve to remain righteous when righteousness is outlawed? I mean, in that day, this was against the law for Daniel to do this. And we are probably nearing this day. Mm -hmm. The first thing that we see is, the first resolve is resolve to obey God's law over man's law. Verse 10, now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house and continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. One thing I've loved about this study is just Daniel's choice to obey God. 
he it was a non-negotiable it was a non-negotiable we need to have that non-negotiable he's like i he will obey he resolved the that's another mm-hmm. synonym for resolve non-negotiables non-negotiable Daniel doesn't stumble in ho- into obedience. He makes knowing and willing choices to obey. He does. This is not some, some situation he just finds himself in. He resolves to obey. The second is that we can resolve to trust God even when we're in danger. Even in danger, we can trust God. Daniel knew that obeying God would put him in danger, and he still obeyed. Why? Verse 23 tells us it was because Daniel trusted God. So God's enabling of Daniel's resolve to obey and trust him ultimately led to Darius and the whole kingdom's recognition of the sovereignty and power of God. And it also showed, yet again, Daniel is being positioned. Daniel is in a position where their gods couldn't save Daniel, where Darius, even his power is being limited because he makes a law where he can't even revoke it himself. And yet God delivers Daniel and shows his sovereignty again and again. And the accusers of Daniel who made this all up in order to destroy Daniel are themselves destroyed in the lion's den. It says that they were attacked and killed before they even reached the bottom of the pit. Yeah. So I mean, what was the difference? Hmm. Trusting in God. It's like a showdown between between Dar- like all these kings and their gods versus Yahweh. Okay, what do you think of when you think of the Exodus? There, too, was a showdown of the a gods. A showdown. Each one of those plagues was a showdown against an mm-hmm. Egyptian god, that God was greater, the God of heaven was greatest. Um, another thing I want to just go back to, but, and then we're going to close here, go back to the thought that Daniel went on his knees and pr- prayed with the window open, and he prayed three times a day. Mm-hmm. Do we, are we that serious about prayer where we have set times where we are disciplined in our prayer time? Mm. Do we pray throughout the day? Not mm. just a little, you know, get me started in the morning prayer, but do we pray as the day goes on multiple times? Um, have we made it a habit? Right. I really think, you know, then I don't, I don't even think about my quiet time in the morning anymore. I always just, whatever my schedule is, I just schedule that time right. before I start showering and getting ready for my day or even working out. I just schedule that time. It's just a habit. And I think we need that kind of resolve in our personal life, in our relationship with God, as far as coming to him in prayer. And Daniel's yeah. a beautiful example of that. And like, if you think about it, Daniel's in this godless society where he's like in danger, like in every chapter, somehow, some way, something oh, scary yes, or dangerous yes. is happening. And he has to say such hard things to important people. Oh my <laughs> goodness. The most powerful people on the planet. It's like yeah. no big deal. Um, but yet this is Daniel's response. And the way that really Daniel prepares for all of this is through prayer. Yes. He's like, I'm depending on the Lord. I will, pr- I, I'm, I have to schedule my, I'm scheduling my prayer out to depend on the Lord too. It's so important to me. Yeah. It's so important. I will schedule it and I resolve to stick to it and do it three times a day. And that's, In this position on my knees by yeah. this open window, could we be that specific? I think we can and should. And I think it was a major reason why Daniel was godly. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Whew, well, The warnings in these chapters are many, but the core warning is against pride and the destruction it brings. That's really where we started off Mm -hmm. when we see these kings and their outcomes. Pride is rebellion against God's sovereignty. In order to be resolved to stand in a godless culture, we must be a humble people looking to the Lord for what is true and how to live that truth. And Daniel is a great example of that Mm -hmm. and always making much of God.
mm. and little of ourself. Heavenly Father, thank you for the many truths found in these many chapters in Daniel. Lord, we want to always exalt you and not ourselves. We want to be a mouthpiece for you and to stand and to resolve for what is true. We want to become women and men who are godly and who pray, who pray with regularity and have made it a habit and a part of our life and not just a dry old habit that we do uh, out just going through the motions, but a habit that is living and vital and we crave and we want it every day maybe even three times a day. Maybe we need to get on our knees. Show us, guide us how we can become Daniels and live in resolve in a godless culture. In Christ's name, amen. Amen, amen. Well, it was great to be with you, sisters. Join us next Monday on She is Becoming.